0: Hi, my name is Tracy Aaron Smith, and welcome to Walk Left, the podcast.
1: And I'm Marty Chidorek. Thanks for joining us. Tracy, nice to be talking to you again. It's good
0: to see you again, Marty.
1: This time, mm-hmm. instead of instead of talking about something where you're pulling strings behind the scenes. You're taking center stage, <laughs> Yep. part of the Toronto Fringe Festival this year, Memento Mori. Tell me about this
0: show. Oh, thanks for asking. This is my fourth one-woman show in the Toronto Fringe, and I would say the craziest so far. Uh, we have a team of about 11 people, and um, I'll tell you what it's based on, sure. and then I'll tell you the posse that I have. <laughs> so a couple not quite a couple of years ago, after losing my dad suddenly, I felt like I needed to do something to really bring myself back to life. I felt that the the loss had really sort of coded me in something that was making me feel less alive, a little more dead than I normally feel, which is quite alive. And so I was thinking... What is going to be what I would call like a soul defibrillator? You know, how can I put some electric paddles right on my essence and and restart this puppy? And I had been given, or I don't know how I found it, a book by Stephen Levine called A Year to Live. He's a professional who has worked with thousands of people who are dying. And he discovered that something happens to people when they know They're dying in terms of, well, all kinds of things personal breakthroughs, doing things they always wanted to do, stopping doing things they never really wanted to do. And he was watching, you know, these thousands of people that he intimately worked with and helped. And he thought, you know, what a shame that it takes people until right at the end sometimes to have that kind of awakening. And he said, what if? What if we could design something that would simulate this experience so that people wouldn't have to wait till it was actually the end? They could go through this renewal, this rebirth before the end. And so he designed a program about choosing a start date and living the following year as if it was the last year of your life. So I kept putting it off. I kept putting it off because I knew, I think something in me knew this was going to bring about some pretty radical changes. So it's like the typical hero's journey, you know, the call to adventure. I was like rejecting the call. And finally, I, I said, screw it. I'm going to do it. And I chose the Jewish New Year, which is in September. And uh, I decided to live the following year as if it was the last year of my life. And this show is about that year. And the actual show takes place on the final night of that year. So it's sim- simulated the last night of my life. So it's an end-of-life celebration.
1: Wow, okay. <laughs> and uh, and you say that there's a there's a posse involved. Oh, uh, yes. Other than just you.
0: Yes, there are several stars involved, actually. First of all is my director, Anita LaSelva. And this is our fourth collaboration together. She recently won Best Director through the My Theatre Awards. And uh, that's quite prestigious, so we're very proud of Anita. And then we have Payadora, which is Canada's foremost tango ensemble. This is four musicians that are all at the top of their game that play the most killer tango you've ever heard. It's a keyboard, stand-up bass, accordion and violin. And they are woven throughout the show and featured and amazing. And then I have my two, I want to call them Chippendale dancers. They're not Chippendale dancers, but (laughs) (laughs) I have two male dancers in the show. I don't know why we say male dancers. I don't think we assume that dancers are women, but I'm going to call them male dancers because they are. And then, so we have that whole team happening. And then the show is not in a theater. The show is a site-specific show because the conceit is that it's a garden party. It's a private party. And there are only 30 audience members, 30 guests, we'll call them, per night at the show. It's a party, and it's the beginning of this end-of-life celebration. And then people are led into the main space, where most of the festivities and storytelling and dancing and music happens. And then we end back in the garden. So Tell me about
1: your process working Mm. on... A one person show for yourself, I mean we we got some some peaks in your process before when you work with others, but when you're doing it by yourself, for yourself, tell me a bit about that.
0: I tend to write first. I've met some solo performers recently who never write a word. it's all developed on their feet, and whatever comes out, they work with that material they they audio tape it or videotape it, and then they craft that. I tend to write first and then edit like mad. So with my show before this, it was originally, when I first read it to Anita, it was two hours and 45 minutes. And we got it down to a tight 65, 70. And this one wasn't quite as long, but it's very satisfying to go through and cut the dead wood. Like it's very to chop off and just ask the piece and ask myself, what is the essence that wants to come through? What are the strongest words, the strongest images? What will drive it forward? Because, you know, the, the number of words are very important. And if you can say something with less words, it has a better chance of going in the listener than if it's drowning in too many words.
1: So just trying to get an idea of the timeline here of when this year took place for you in, mm-hmm. in sort of the, the history of you working on solo theater.
0: The year ended in the fall. This this past fall.
1: So this is this is recent.
0: This is really recent. Oh yeah, this is. <laughs> well
1: now I'm super curious. <laughs> okay. Then. Did you know? At what point did you know that this was going to be a show? I
0: fairly early on I sensed that, but I really tried to remind myself not to to jump ahead and think of the show to really live the experiment. Right. Because I would call it a, it's a life experiment, and it's not easy to keep keep the reality at the forefront of your mind that you know the, t- the 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 calendar days are flying off and you're getting closer to your end there were a few moments where i really touched that reality and it was intense but you it's hard to keep it in the forefront all the time
1: right no and i mean just trying to just thinking about you don't want to be too objective on your experience well
0: exactly i didn't want to be going through it as a playwright as a writer right. observing the whole thing so i was taking notes you know taking photos And then when it was over, you also need that distance, you know, you need some of the notes to capture the details of what happened in the moment, and then you need the the ability to pull the camera back and see that full year, oh my gosh, and see how there really was a natural hero's journey, that the, you know, the refusal of the call, and then, you know, entering this new world, and then the really dark place, and then somehow coming out of that, and it was fascinating.
1: And does it give too much away to ask how tango music fits into this? I was
0: just thinking of that, actually. So one of the musicians who ac- who pulled Peodora together, Rebecca Wolkstein, was one of my musicians in the burning bush. Her and her husband, she played the violin, and uh, Drew Jureka played the accordion. And I said to her, you know, I think I want to collaborate again. And she said, well, I've got this amazing tango band. And then I researched tango, and I don't know if you know this, but tango bands are without drums. If it's a real tango band, it does not have a drum. And the theory behind that is that the beat to tango is supplied by your own heart. Hmm. And I really liked that. I liked that myself and the audience bring the life force, the, the, the pumping beat from our own hearts to the music. And also, tango is so erotic and charged. And one of the phrases that I read in my research for the show was, eroticism is the antidote to death. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what I was like. I want two male dancers (laughs) to help with that philosophy. You know, it's just purely intellectual.
1: The thing that pops to mind is it's like... You know, it's it's the idea of, you know, taking two to tango. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of your dance with death here.
0: What are you, mind reader? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, if you have a look at the poster, um, I'm made up as what's called a sugar skull from the Day of the Dead. And definitely it's, you know, and I think it's one thing that we could do a little bit more of in our culture, which is acknowledge death know that, and, and some of it's, you know, a byproduct of being young, you're not, you, you don't need to be so aware of your mortality yet. But, you know, you reach over 30, let's say, and you start to sense, oh my goodness, I think that there may be an end somewhere to all of this. And it's quite a dawning realization because, you know, but I think that's what gives things their potency and their importance is that they end. So, so it's a double-edged sword. It's a, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not going to be around forever and neither is anyone that I love. And then it's a, oh my gosh, okay, so what are we going to do?
1: Right. And I'm, there's, you know, the great examples at like the AGO of the whole medieval art section where you feel like every single painting has like a skeleton in it or, you know, death with the scythe and that whole... There's that whole immediacy and that whole feeling of like death is around everywhere you know prior to modern medicine and, and, and it was hygiene, yeah
0: it was I mean with the plague you can see the the carts of the corpses and you know it's only in modern times that the funeral home has been separated from our daily life and from church and synagogue people used to lay out their loved ones for three days at home and I think psychologically that's very powerful and very helpful to really get used to the fact that this person is gone in the way that you knew them they no longer exist you can conjure them in your mind, you can love them in your heart, but the person that inhabited that body is gone. And I think it takes the psyche about three days, m- much more, but three days to sort of let it sink in. Whereas today, things disappear. And in fact, it's a trend not to have funerals, just to have a memorial. Mm-hmm. So where does the grief go? Where does the, you know, that dip in. Realizing the loss
1: I mean it's it, it isn't even just on the human level, like you know none of us kill our own animals that we eat, you know it's everything's cleaned and in a pristine styrofoam container waiting for us at the grocery store, yep, yeah, but yeah, no it's uh it's interesting, I'm just gonna go off, yeah well, off off the beaten path here we're just having a conversation um my background's Polish Catholic okay and and my people are all about uh. The open casket in the uh-huh. funeral home, and and getting a good look, and taking pictures to send back to the relatives in Poland, so they can see the corpse in the box, and like it's wow. there's a there's a kind of, and people need that, and people will protest if it's just an urn with a photo or something, because they want to have that visceral connection with.
0: They want to process the it. They yeah. want that. Wow, that's great. They want to see sounds just very the husk healthy. With the, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, the
1: argument can be made either way on whether it's healthy or not. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's there's a there's a sort of we've sort of anesthetized ourselves from mortality. Yeah, in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, and that's what part of the show is about. I mean, one of the things I go through a bucket list at the beginning of the year because I think I think that's what this year is about, and then life shows me better. But one of the, the things on the bucket list was to sit with the dead, and I do, and it's. It is one of the stories that's the most hilarious and just, it, it, it's left an imprint on me that I don't think and I hope will never go away in terms of that we are these bodies walking around. Mm-hmm. It's pretty shocking when you think about it.
1: Right, right. <laughs> and, and, when, and what are the discernible differences between the, the bag of meat that's breathing and the bag of meat that isn't?
0: Oh my God, there's a great quote that says, who is it that pulls this corpse around? Like, really, what is that essence that animates us? And, oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: and I mean, you know, and, and theater is so often the perfect uh-huh. medium for these kind of big questions and really, and because it is a, a living art form.
0: Exactly. And I just want to add to that, the fact that I've brought in dance and music, because sometimes there's, often there's a place where words are not enough where the words need to end and something else takes over. And so it's, it's a topic that's so big that I feel it, ne- it needs that. It needs that music and the dance to really help us feel it on all levels. Mm-hmm. And tell
1: me about the process of taking a, a year-long experience and, and whittling that down to and whittling sort of the arc of that for yourself down to a fringe-length performance.
0: Oh, that's a good question, too. Yeah, it was, it was a year. It was quite a year. And then, well, like any of the shows that I've created, you sort of, you know, sit at a big dining room table and you spread out what you've got. I call it the buffet table. Put it all on there. What are the stories, the incidents, the characters, the songs, um, the visuals? And then you, it's a combo of you, at the beginning, you curate. And then once the ball gets rolling, the show tells you what it wants and what it doesn't. And it it sounds esoteric, but it's, it's quite practical. I found that there's really no need to worry about whether something should go in a show or not, because by the time you open, the show will have shown you what it wants to drop and what it wants to keep
1: and there's a bit of audience interaction in this as well
0: yes because the conceit the idea is that this is a party this is a celebration so there's some mingling at the beginning amongst the audience members and then they're invited to participate in a very fun non-threatening way along with the themes that are in it and and i'm really hoping that i'm hoping that this show will create a visceral experience of going a little bit closer to death and then having that inhalation of, we're still alive, we still have time, what do we want to do?
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound frightening at all. <laughs> <laughs> Near-death experience for your audience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just had this image of that, what's the name of the huge roller coaster at uh, the Behemoth? A yeah. Canada's Wonderland. I thought, maybe I should have shot the promo video on the Behemoth.
1: <laughs> wow, well that's, that's definitely... That's taking an audience on a journey. Yeah,
0: For that's sure. the fit. You know, because I had to say to myself, Marty, Marty, I had to say, <laughs> even though my name is Tracy. I had to say, Trace, you know, and this was a, a conversation I had with a, fr- a friend of mine in San Francisco. He's a solo performer. and And he was great. He said, you really need to come at this as if this was your last show. Like, if you're really going along with that idea that this is the final night of the experiment and you've chosen to have it with an intimate group of people, some of which I will know, some of the audience members I will know, and some will be new friends. He said, you know, do the show you would want to go out on. Like, the, the phrase that comes to me is, leave it all on the ice. And I think that's why it's grown to have dancers and music and just to give people a full-on experience. And for myself, you know, to explore the things that I love to do. Because the stories in the show are, a good portion of them are what happened on that year. And there are other stories that I've brought to life based on things I'm obsessed with or how others, other cultures deal with death in a very different way than us, like the opposite way. There's a really interesting character I play there. There's going to be Mask. So it's got everything.
1: No, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, not to... It's one, of those, it's one of those things just in the back of my head, just the thought of, well, you know, death is that, the ultimate thing that we do by ourselves.
0: Whoa, dude.
1: So, <laughs> so how appropriate that it's a one-person show.
0: Oh, my As much as gosh. everyone's
1: gathered for it.
0: That's so good. <laughs> Marty. And, I mean, in a way, same with the funeral, right? Except the deceased, unless they've made a video, is a little quieter than I will be on that night. But I think it's the beauty of, dare we say, funerals and solo theater, that one person has brought together many. And whether it's we're remembering that one person or listening to that one person, hopefully we are reflecting on our own humanity.
1: Whoa. Dude. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, hmm.
0: Even though, you know, the title is suggestive of death, the image is suggestive of death, there's a lot of death stuff around this show the reason that the show exists was because I was looking for an experience to feel fully alive. And if there's one thing that the audience comes away with, it would be feeling even more alive than when they came in. So it really is a celebration, it really is those electric paddles, you know, to the soul. That's my that's my intention, you know, it's just a big experiment. So we'll see what happens. but. I've surrounded myself with the best people that I could find, so hopefully that's going to elevate the entire experience.
1: No, I mean, there's definitely something to be said, too, for, like, I guess getting getting that close to death or, like, looking death in the face that, you know, it's like by by contrast with actually going there, I guess you're able to see some of the... Vibrance of life or whatnot.
0: Exactly. It's a simulation.
1: It's a simulation. <laughs> a simulation of death. It's a near-death experience. It's
0: near death experience. That's what <laughs> should have been the tagline <laughs> a near death experience. That's good.
1: Memento Mori, part of the 2014 Toronto Fringe Festival.
0: Thank you, Tracy. Thank you so much, Marty.
1: Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.
0: It was nice to die with you. (laughs) It was a pleasure dying with you. To cross the River Styx. (laughs)